0: Hello, and welcome to Fashion History with American Duchess. I am your host, Abby Cox, and Lauren is not joining us today because she is actually in Reno, Nevada, and I am in Virginia with Mark Schneider, Napoleon in the flesh. Greetings. (laughs) Um, So today I wanted to talk to you actually about Napoleon's fashion, his influence on fashion, his uniform, his wardrobe, and all the things you know about Napoleon, because at least in my mind, you are the expert in all things Napoleon.
1: (laughs) Well, you're very kind, and I shall endeavor to do my best to uh, enlighten the world or your (laughs) listeners on uh, all things Napoleon, particularly when it pertains to fashion.
0: All things fashion. Okay. So, I think one, at least for me, and and just for the listeners' note, we've known each other for a few years now, and... I've always find it found it really interesting how closely you coincide with Napoleon, especially since you are would it be like a professional reenactor, professional and I suppose you could
1: uh, I mean? call it anything you'd like um, because uh, I have another profession uh, mm-hmm. that uh, does not include Napoleon, mm-hmm. but I do portray Napoleon on a regular basis. Yeah. I. Uh, do many uh, performances each year, whether they're here in the United States or in Europe at mm-hmm. various sites that Napoleon was at. So uh, you could call me um, uh, a professional Napoleon. You could call me. Napoleon. But I, I would say just a historian who gets okay. the honor and privilege of portraying Napoleon Portray- at sites that he was actually at.
0: Awesome. Very cool. So y- you're basically the same age as Napoleon just in the 21st century, right?
1: Correct, 200 years after the fact. Uh, he was born in 1769. I was born in 1969. Mm-hmm. But he was born on August the 15th, and I was born on November the 18th. Aww. So but a just, just a few months. Just a few months, it's all right. But it's still that 200 years mm-hmm. uh, separate us. Mm-hmm. So for that fact, it's been very helpful in attending these 200th anniversary yeah. events in which... Uh, You basically will age the same Same. as Napoleon would. So, of course, the Napoleon of the 1790s was different from the Napoleon of 1815. Though, admittedly, I have received a bit of criticism about my Waterloo look of 1815. (gasps) Why? uh, Because they say I did not uh, grow large enough. I, per- I prefer to stay <laughs> healthy and do my sit-ups as opposed to putting on weight and you... <laughs> looking like the Napoleon of
0: 1815. <laughs> you didn't want to grow a belly for that?
1: No, no. <laughs> a power <I> pre- punch?
0: <laughs> Instead, I prefer to
1: remain uh, very much the Napoleon of the glory years, yeah. of the... 1805, 1806, 1807, and, and actually in the last couple of years, I've gone back in time mm. uh, to portray Napoleon in the late 1790s oh, for his fun. Italian campaign. Oh,
0: how exciting. You just time travel all over the it's place. It's wonderful. Excellent. So so you're basically the same age as Napoleon. That's, I, I just love that. I think that's just... It gives me goosebumps when I think about it, because it, it would make the experience so much more real for the other reenactors, but also the... You know, normal people who are going to watch it, it, you know, it's not some kid playing Napoleon, and it's not some grandpa playing Napoleon. It's, It's, no, you are the same age as him. And so it helps give that grounded realness in the interaction that... Helps make it feel like you're really there.
1: Absolutely, yeah. and I think if you physically look like the person you're portraying mm-hmm. and you Costume yourself mm-hmm. the way that person <laughs> How uh, Actually Mark. looked uh, yeah. it, it makes it uh, Realer for the guest mm-hmm. who's attending these events it brings mm-hmm. it to life And that's really what we're all about what we're, we're doing. We want mm-hmm. to bring history to life yeah. That's the name living history mm-hmm. so with that. I, I'm blessed um uh, with uh, a strong resemblance to Napoleon. I had uh, the blessing of a French mother and uh, an American father. Uh, But many of my features are French. Mm -hmm. I believe it or not, I'm the same height as Napoleon. He was one meter six, eight, (laughs) according to the metric system, (laughs) which he went by. But that's about five foot six, which is my height. Um, And so that... Uh, adds to the realism when you when you put yourself in the costumes and start to portray this individual. I
0: totally forgot that you're also in the same height as him too. So we can actually just go right into that. Five foot six. That's not. I mean, I guess by modern standards, that can be on the shorter side for for men's height, but it's not short. No, like, it, I know plenty of men who are shorter than five foot six. Um, it's just kind of average, really. Exactly. It's not,
1: um, I think uh, throughout history, uh, and in fact maybe some detractors of Mm -hmm. Napoleon, uh, depicted him... Push him
0: down, literally? Uh, Yes, (laughs) uh,
1: they did, and many uh, uh, caricatures of him Mm -hmm. during the time period as well uh, showed him with a very large hat, but being a very small person. And that was probably just to belittle him, to make him look bad in the public eye, just as political cartoons do today to certain individuals. (laughs)
0: Don't you find it fascinating though? Because today, when we talk and when we study history and we talk to people who may not be historians, everybody assumes that people were sh- shorter back then or people were smaller back then. But then here's Napoleon, who is five foot six. And they, in the 19th century, in the early 19th century, they were making fun of him for being short. And so that really kind of actually. Detracts from the whole concept that we have as modern people that people were smaller back then as a whole. Because if he was five foot six, in the way people view it from our time period today, is that, well, tall people were five foot six. You know, everyone was, you know, everyone's like running around being like 4'11, you know. But here it is in the, in the early 19th century, and they're mocking him for being on the shorter side. So that actually is interesting because if you know he's five foot six, It completely negates that whole mindset, let alone the fact that we know that George Washington was over six foot tall, Thomas Jefferson was over six foot tall, that beds were over six foot long, and and all of this is just mythology that we've kind of built around ourselves, thinking that, oh, well, it's, you know, the future, and we're bigger, and we're stronger, and we're better, and it's, but here we are in the 19th century, looking at primary documentation, and they're making fun of him for being Five foot six.
1: But we must remember that the they that you're referring to was they. not everybody. <laughs> it was uh, mostly his enemies. Yeah. And in the gazettes of the day, in the writings of the day, of course they're going to portray or describe their the enemy of their nation mm-hmm in a a very negative way. So the English, whether the Prussians, the Russians, the Austrians, whomever Napoleon went to war with are going to describe it in such a way. Mm -hmm. We, of course, have the luxury in the 21st century of looking back at history, of looking Mm -hmm. at a variety of different sources. And another reason why some might consider him short is because many paintings, many etchings of Napoleon Uh, showed him with his imperial guard mm. and they were very uh, big men with tall bearskin hats upon their head which made them over six feet tall. Well,
0: that's like so, bodyguards today. Exactly. And you never hire a small bodyguard exactly. unless they're like a you know, black belt a pump, black belt a pump, black belt. Exactly. So, bigger.
1: so if you look at those paintings or pictures, mm-hmm. uh, sure, Napoleon will appear small in the, them uh, because he is surrounded by these imperial guardsmen. There's also um, Napoleon was referred to even during his period as uh, le petit corporal, mm-hmm. which is the little corporal. Of course, people, if you take that at face value, you say, okay, so he was a little, he was a short guy, but not <laughs> that, that like... was not the reason behind it. It was because mm-hmm. uh, Napoleon was known to sometimes dismount from his horse and go to a mm-hmm. cannon uh, mm-hmm. and cite it himself as a corporal would. Mm-hmm. So, le petit caporal, the little corporal, uh, was another uh, name given to him, not because he was short, but because he was doing the duty of uh, of a corporal. So,
0: it's more like a diminutive. In, uh, it was like, an
1: endearing yeah. uh, uh, okay. description because here he is the emperor of the French yet he's mm-hmm. doing the, the simple task of a corporal uh, he's still at one with his soldiers that's... he was willing to do such a thing
0: oh that's actually really sweet yeah <laughs> I, like, oh,
1: absolutely well,
0: <laughs> okay so when, with Napoleon and being uh, one of the premier reenactors of Napoleon can you explain what his, his uniform looked like because as probably a lot of people who listen, or will continue to listen, who read American Duchess blog or buy her book, like they know that my expertise is in 18th century women's dress. I fully admit, I, I know nothing about military uniforms, especially about French military uniforms during the Napoleonic era. I know nothing. so. Would you be so kind as to walk through that? (laughs) It would be
1: my pleasure. Uh, Just as any time period, as Mm -hmm. time goes by, the fashion will change. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what you're all about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, it's no different in the Napoleonic Wars. And really, Napoleon is on the scene um, really uh, 1796 when he becomes general of the Army of Italy through 1815 uh, with his defeat at Waterloo. Mm -hmm. And in that time, he wore a variety of different uniforms. The uniform of the 1790s that Napoleon is identified with uh, is much different than his uniform that he would wear as the Emperor of the French. Um, the 1790s uniform uh, had a regulation. It was listed in the regulations for how a general officer uh, should dress or should be dressed. Uh, so it was a blue coat, and it was imbro- of wool, uh, embroidered with gold lace. Uh, they were wearing sashes as a sign of rank, of what position they were. Around the
0: waist. Around the waist, okay, yes, not around, not, not not a, cross, around body. The cross
1: body, It was okay. around the waist. Uh, And they would typically be of a white or of a red. Mm -hmm. Uh, On occasion, you'd see the blue, white, and red. And these would uh, signify your rank in the as a general in the army, okay. whether you were general de brigade, mm-hmm. uh, general de division, or general de l'armée, general of division, or general of the mm-hmm. army, all could be identified with this. Okay. Uh, the small clothes were similar. Um, they were a white gilet, or waistcoat, as mm-hmm. we would call it in English, uh, and then a pair of breeches, and then typically, of course, a pair of boots, because they're often in the saddle. Okay. Uh, upon his head, he would wear... Uh, a, what would we call a bicorn that mm-hmm. became the so- style? It evolved from the three cornered hat that we mm-hmm. see in the 18th century.
0: Did he start that trend or did he just adopt that trend?
1: It was already adopted. It was I was part... going to say that's
0: super like Napoleon hat connection. There.
1: Exactly. A lot of people immediately when they see the bicorn, mm-hmm. they think of Napoleon mm-hmm. because. The one piece of Napoleon's uniform that immediately is identified by the world is his hat. Mm -hmm. If you see this hat, you immediately say... Napoleon, Napoleon. <laughs> Exactly. So the hat is a is a strong symbol of Napoleon, but he did not create it. No. It was just part of the evolution of fashion. fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the 1790s, his would have had gold lace around uh, the hat
0: around the brim or around the crown,
1: uh, around all of, oh, the, all hat. of the above. Um, and uh, it would have had the, the cockade, mm-hmm. uh, which would have been the tricolore, mm-hmm. uh, which was actually created by the Marquis de Lafayette. He mm-hmm. created the, the blue, white, and red of France by combining the, the two colors of the city of Paris, okay. which were blue and red, mm-hmm. with the color of At the, the monarchy, monarchy, which was white. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be the uniform. And of course, he'd have a suitable, appropriate uh, saber with him, a pair of gloves, uh, and that would uh, complete the uniform of Napoleon during the 1790s. Now, he had longer hair mm. in the 1790s. Because
0: it was the 90s, it and everything the 90s. was wild and crazy. Everything was wild and crazy. <laughs> and
1: awesome. So he kept that until his return from Egypt in 1799, okay. and would uh, would cut his hair, and he was given another nickname, Le Petit Tendu, the shaven one, because he had cut his hair so very short.
0: Was that... How far... Did he how, I guess what I'm trying to say is you have the iconic portrait of Napoleon uh, by David. And how much before that what did he cut his hair?
1: That is the Marengo campaign of June the 14th, 1800. So just before. Just before. Just before. The fashion is beginning to change. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, different campaigns are going to affect fashion as well, particularly with women's fashion, the campaign in Egypt. uh, Well, yeah, because you do
0: kind of see an Egyptian trend.
1: There's a motif in a a lot of uh, different uh, costumes. For French women. For French women's, exactly. I'm, I'm
0: stuck here thinking about it. Well, it would make sense, I guess, for English women. To, well, the French to set adopt the fashion, it. and even though uh, <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: the English and the Austrians, whomever, yeah. it's just part of fashion. Yeah. Uh, so Egypt became a, a popular um, motif. Uh, motif to to wear it's like in the nineteen twenties. There you go. It's... Now, the change uh, with Napoleon that becomes one more identified with the public at large Mm -hmm. today is when he becomes first consul. Now, he adopts a a uniform of his uh, personal, what they called, guides. They were light cavalrymen who were known as chasseurs, and in French that means hunter, Mm -hmm. so chasseurs à cheval, uh hunters on horseback and they were wearing green uniforms often green is associated with hunting yes so that made a lot of sense
0: so it's similar with the english dragoons they also wear green
1: uh the french dragoons were green the english dragoons a little bit different they were still adopting red and some were actually wearing blue so they had more
0: colors but there were some green dragoons right I'm not
1: crazy. No, you're not crazy at all. (laughs) Uh, There were green uniformed dragoons in the American Revolution. Okay. Both French and American, the 4th Mm -hmm. Regiment of Dragoons during the American Revolution at the end uh, were wearing green-faced with red. Mm -hmm. Uh, The French dragoons of the Napoleonic Wars, and there were upwards of 30 regiments of dragoons, and each of them wore green, Mm -hmm. but their facing colors changed. So some had Mm -hmm. red, some had yellow, some had... A, a blue just it would uh, denote that particular regiment mm-hmm. but with the Chasseur à Cheval uh, Napoleon uh, Adopted the uniform of a colonel of the Chasseur à Cheval Very bizarre,
0: but he wasn't a colonel.
1: He was not at that time. He was first consul He was okay. the ruler of France, but okay. he was also a general of the army now this okay. is interesting to note because Men like Frederick the Great also Mm -hmm. adopted a very simple uniform, Mm -hmm. yet they would stand out when they were with their staff. Uh, Think of all the generals and marshals that are with him. And they have plumes and uh, lace and gold embroidery all over their uniforms. Mm -hmm. They all look like kings. But there is Napoleon in the uniform of a chasseur a cheval, a colonel, rather simple. But mm-hmm. in the sea of all that, he stands out more than anyone else.
0: Do you think he did that so he stood out? Or do you think there's another psychological idea behind that? Because I would never assume that Napoleon would do anything willy-nilly. That he was very calculated in he everything. Was. That, there's no way that he couldn't be. So why do you think he chose to downgrade his uniform, essentially, to more a, a more simplistic appearance and even a more lower-ranked appearance?
1: Uh, That's a great question and you're absolutely correct in the sense that Napoleon did not do things on a whim. Mm -hmm. He was very calculated in everything he was doing. He was a student of history as well and he did admire Frederick the Great so that could have been an influence Mm -hmm. but also he wanted to be uh, a a general or eventually emperor of the people and of his soldiers Mm -hmm. so by dressing down he's one of them he Mm -hmm. is at one with them uh he's not like the marshals of france who are untouchable to the Mm -hmm. common soldier though it was said a marshal's baton was to be found in every private's knapsack meaning that if you try hard enough and succeed, you'll be promoted all the way to the rank of marshal.
0: Well, that's very hopeful. Yeah,
1: very hopeful, very optimistic, <laughs> and gives all these soldiers an opportunity. It was a time where merit mm-hmm. was the fashion, that uh, you were not being promoted because of who your father was. Mm-hmm. was be, You were being promoted because you were the best person for the job. I
0: was actually just getting ready to ask you if, that, if France was similar to England, where you could buy a rank in the military and... Con- Conscripted in is that uh, conscription
1: is created during the French Revolution, yeah. but uh, the no. purchase of rank had died yeah. out in the Napoleonic Wars. Okay, it was done by merit, um, because with the collapse of the French monarchy mm-hmm. in 1792 um, and the execution of the royal family uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, that fashion went out. In fact, in the French Revolution, sometimes uh, early on, the officers were elected by their men. So they were picked... They picked democratic. them Exactly. <laughs> but uh, anything of higher rank, yeah. you were elevated by merit, that's, by your ability. That's awesome. That's and amazing. that's why of the 26 Marshals of France that were created, uh, many of them came from humble origins. In fact, awesome. Marshal Murat was... Uh, 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 a, a post house. Uh, he worked at a post house for his father, meaning changing horses as carriages came through. And he would rise to not only be uh, a marshal of France, but he would also rise to be the king of Naples, uh, and one of the great cavalrymen of, uh, of the history of warfare.
0: It pays to be a bestie with Napoleon. It,
1: it does absolutely. <laughs> so Side,
0: side note current royal family of sweden <laughs> ah.
1: well with napoleon when he did, does become mm-hmm. emperor in 1804 uh he will adopt the uniform of the chasseur à Cheval de la garde Impériale, the the hunters uh on horseback of the imperial guard mm-hmm. as his uniform for most of the week okay. it was believed that on sundays he would wear a different uniform called the uniform of the grenadier a pied the foot grenadier Excuse me, foot grenadiers of the Imperial Guard, which okay. was um, a uniform that had a blue coat with okay. red cups and collar mm-hmm. uh, and uh, white lapels and uh, white small clothes underneath, a white gele mm-hmm. or waistcoat. All wool. Uh, no, he was known to wear, when he was emperor, cashmere. Uh, well, because he is the emperor after the emperor. all. Now, we must also remember that Napoleon did have a court dress, yes, uh, which was filled with all the plumage and mm-hmm. the nicety and, and the embroidery uh, and things of this nature. Uh, which, was it
0: still a uniform, or did he wear more casual-looking, not casual, but non-military-esque clothing? That, that court, court dress.
1: dress would have been for very special functions. Okay. Uh, no doubt Napoleon had um, civilian clothes that he could wear on occasion Mm -hmm. but being the head of state being the emperor Mm -hmm. of France but also the head of the army Mm -hmm. and associating him with military things he more often than not was wearing these uh, uniforms Uh, there's one bit of fashion that also stands out uh, thanks to many of the wonderful artists of the period is that when he was first consul he did have a uh, court uniform made that was of red bright red velvet uh, ah. and it had uh, gold buttons and a bit of gold embroidery on it uh, and that's uh, immortalized when he became first consul of France okay. but uh, after he becomes emperor we don't see any images of him uh, wearing that on any occasion
0: I was going to say when I think of the images I have I, red velvet with gold embroidery is not in my visual like it's... mental like. Library card list that goes through my mind.
1: <laughs> yes, just a one, uh, one time only, I suppose. Okay. Uh, adoption of this particular costume, sure. uh, or uniform rather, would mm-hmm. not refer to it as a costume. Yeah. Uh, another important part of Napoleon's uniform, and again, almost as iconic as his hat, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, his greatcoat, his gray uh, yeah. overcoat that he is wearing. Yeah. Uh, so he's wearing that. It's. No different than that of a private's great coat. Really? So again, making himself an emperor of the the common soldier mm-hmm. of the men, that he is at one with them.
0: So, by that statement, I would take it then to say that other generals or other men higher up in the military, their great coats would look different than. A private's great coat would. Would it Correct. have braid braid? It would. Okay. It,
1: particularly a Marshal of France. It would have uh-huh. gold embroidery upon it. Because uh, it's tall practical, collar.
0: right? Especially for a great coat.
1: Exactly. <laughs> uh, if they're adopting it at all, many of them wore cloaks okay. uh, like that. But... Uh, again, Napoleon calculated in his uh, in his decisions, mm-hmm. and kn- knowing that people are going to uh, associate him with this look, mm-hmm. adopted that. Uh, he didn't just wear the gray one. We know mm-hmm. we have evidence that in um, the records they show him having a blue one as well. No mm-hmm. doubt wearing it on the Sundays when he's in the uniform okay. of the Grenadier. Uh, and maybe on other occasions. Maybe oh. it was a Tuesday and he wore the the blue <laughs> gray coat, but the gray one is yeah, really yeah. iconic with that. And let's return back to the hat for just a moment. What's amazing about Napoleon's black uh, bicorn hat mm-hmm. is, the again, the simplicity. There is no more lace on it. Mm-hmm. There is no plumage at all upon mm-hmm. it. The only thing that stands out on that hat is the cockade, the tricolor uh, mm-hmm. cockade, the three-colored cockade of blue, white, red. Here mm-hmm. is really an emperor of the people.
0: Fascinating. That's great. So, oh, I just, I'm sitting here going, oh, this is so interesting. Um, what's your favorite part of Napoleon's uniform? So when you are portraying Napoleon, what is your favorite part of the uniform to put on? Like, I guess... It's what takes you from being Mark to being Napoleon? Like, what is that final click for you? Well,
1: uh... Or maybe that's
0: two different questions. No, but...
1: we can we can work around that. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think the hat. Really, mm. the hat is so iconic. It really is Napoleon. You don't have to wear any other part of the uniform, but if you wear that hat, immediately people say Napoleon. Mm. So, um... You know as far as my favorite part Mm -hmm. I'd I'd say yeah that it is the hat I I mean I it's an honor and a privilege to portray the Emperor particularly at sites that he actually was at Uh, and for someone like me who's been fascinated with Napoleon uh, his whole life uh, Mm -hmm. my mother would often say she never knew a time where I was not interested in Napoleon (laughs) Uh, whereas little little boys liked Superman and Batman, I had a picture of Napoleon on my desk in <laughs> You're elementary school.
0: Plotting world takeover. It, there you go. So uh,
1: I, I, anytime I get to wear the uniform, yeah. it's awesome. It's a it's a privilege. It's an honor. Uh, so the the habit the the coat the regimental, if mm-hmm. you will, uh, I, I enjoy that because when you look down um, on your chest, you have the medals as well. Uh, that Napoleon wore and actually created mm-hmm. um, uh, the uniform, the medal that he created which is still in use today was called the Legion d'Honneur, mm-hmm. the Legion of Honor Ooh. and he created yeah. that in 1802 and it was an award given not only to his soldiers for bravery upon the battlefield but it was also given to civilians for accomplishing a, a great uh, deed perhaps some yeah. new innovation in mathematics and architecture in art Uh, Well, that makes
0: sense because he really valued the study and development of things like art and...
1: Absolutely. He was a patron of the arts. Think of the not only the revolutions around the world, the American Revolution and the French Revolution, the spread of liberty, equality, and fraternity, but look at the revolution in music that had taken place in the 18th century. And And philosophy.
0: And philosophy
1: and uh, the discovery, uh, rediscovery of Egypt. And Mm. Egyptology is formed under Napoleon. So when I look at the the medal that he created, this Légion d'honneur, Which is still in use today. And then next to it is the Coron de Fer, the Iron Crown of Lombardy, Mm -hmm. which is really the equivalent of the the Legion d'Honneur for the Italians, because a little known fact Napoleon was Emperor of the French, King of Italy, Protector of the Confederation of the Rhine. Uh, and a few other assorted titles. Goodness. So he certainly was not just the emperor of the French, so he had to be a, a European mm-hmm. emperor. Did
0: he speak Italian uh, as well? He did. His first okay.
1: language was Italian. They Do you say. speak Italian? Uh, yeah. Che tempo, splendido oggi. Como esta, But, uh, yes, his first language was Italian, and they say he would often speak uh, French with an Italian accent, or with an accent.
0: Okay, excellent. So he grew up
1: on the island of Corsica, Yes,
0: uh,
1: which... Uh, d- prior to 1768 belonged to the Genoese, which is an Italian state.
0: Okay, excellent. If you had to pick between all of Napoleon's different uniforms to wear, if you could pick your favorite one, what would be your favorite one to wear?
1: The Chasseur à Cheval de la Garde Imperiale, the green one with the red uh, collar and cuffs. uh, Is that
0: the circa 1800 one?
1: Uh, the one where he begins to ad- start wearing it when he becomes first consul okay. and then will adopt it when he's emperor of the French.
0: That's your favorite one. What's
1: your least favorite one? Uh, I don't have a least favorite one. No. All of them you are honored. just in like honor. being totally the, <laughs> one I wear, the one I wear the least is that of the Grenadier à pied, uh, the blue one. Uh, okay. The Sunday one. Well, the Sunday one, yeah. exactly.
0: Your Sunday best.
1: My Sunday best. Uh, <laughs> I just wear that uh, um, least of all. Mm. Uh, but I, I, I love whatever event it is and whatever uniform I'm having to wear I I must admit I do enjoy Going back and doing the 1790s Napoleon because I love the plumage and I love the gold embroidery on that uniform. I love the sash and the uh, hair uh, and the long hair. You get to have
0: your rock and roll uh, 90s hair. I get you hair. rock and roll
1: 90s hair. <laughs> love the uh, 90s. So that, that is a great look as yeah. well. All of them. We must remember that it's the beginning of a time period that historians like to call the age of the military tailor. When uniform... I've never
0: heard that before.
1: Yes, and okay. uh, it, it is a time where uniforms are very bright, they are very extravagant. Uh, They make soldiers feel more confident in themselves. Mm -hmm. The epaulets grow broader so the shoulders look broader. The hats grow taller Mm -hmm. uh, to make them more imposing upon a battlefield. That's not to say throughout the history of warfare and uniforms Mm -hmm. uh, that uniforms have not been bright and uh, made soldiers uh, look bigger and stronger than they are. Of course, from ancient times all the way, Mm -hmm. this particular time period just gets uh, that name because the uniforms are, uh, incredibly bright, uh, colorful, uh, and, and tall and filled with plumes and, uh, and feathers and things like that. It's a wonderful time for, for uniforms if you like, Mm -hmm. uh, uniforms. Mm
0: -hmm. Fascinating. Oh, I'm just thinking about all of it and I get really excited. (laughs) Um, okay. So, Let's now kind of shift gears and I would like to talk to you about at least your views on how Napoleon influenced fashion in general. I think, and this is from m- my research and obviously I have a much stronger Anglo viewpoint because I can't read French so it's really hard to read the primary documents um, to to have a better understanding. but. You know, this is the time period when Napoleon takes over. It's also known as the Regency time period in England, um, the Federalist period in America, and the waistlines for women go up really high. And Josephine gets a lot of credit for that, though I don't actually think that's the case um, because you see them rising up earlier in the 90s. But there's a lot of influence on Josephine and Napoleon when it comes to fashion in general. Um, So I would like to hear how much Anything you know about that, how Napoleon... Because I've also heard people say, you know, Napoleon controlled how Josephine dressed. He was very... And it makes sense because from what you just said, he's very strategic in how people look, how people dress, how he looks, how he dress, how he interacts with the world around him to create the the appearance of the emperor to help maintain that energy around him for control, essentially, is kind of how I've interpreted what you've said. So I would just like to know how you think and how you view how Napoleon influenced civilian dress and civilian fashion. A uh,
1: wonderful question. and um, Long-winded, I, too. My apologies. That's all right. <laughs> I would like to... Uh, Make a plug uh, for my dear friend Christina Barretto and Martin Lancaster, uh, for they have a book on this it subject is a, a called great Na- book. <laughs> Napoleon and the Empire of Fashion, Fantastic. which covers this topic uh, mm-hmm. in depth. Uh, and it truly is a, an amazing mm-hmm. work. Uh, but with Napoleon personally um, affecting fashion, certainly with military fashion, he is making. Um, changes and critiques and mm-hmm. it seems like the french uniforms are changing it almost seems like yearly as to the regulations of whether they should go with the Bicorn and after mm-hmm. 1807 they adopt the shako and mm-hmm. after that you just you know so things are constantly changing there was even a time that the typically uh identified french blue uniform mm-hmm. was going to revert back to the white uniform for ah. Uh, but it didn't. Some regiments were transferred over, but uh, mm-hmm. on the whole, they went back to the blue later on. Do
0: you think that's an economy choice? Probably an economy like choice the because the you don't have economy. to get
1: the blue uh, mm-hmm. dye for the uniforms. It's yeah. a, a little easier to uh, to build that okay. uniform. So certainly, economy Napoleon's going to want to save money. They're almost perpetually at war. If you mm-hmm. can uh save any money at all in times of war it's a good thing but um certainly I think Napoleon affected uh, civilian fashions because military the military throughout mm-hmm. history mm-hmm. has set the fashion It's true yes. and people like it's to take the really bits good ones and. Too. <laughs> pieces of uniforms and put a twist on them mm-hmm. to make them into the civilian world. I think uh, immediately of uh, someone like Beau Brummel in mm-hmm. England uh, uh, being the uh, gentleman who started to adopt wearing boots mm-hmm. uh, with his trousers and then all of a sudden that became the fashion. Well he was a capital room and in the uh, I think, 10th uh, uh, Dragoons okay. in the English Cavalry, uh, and that's what they were wearing, but he just adopted it for civilian wear. So whether Napoleon personally influenced the um, civilian fashion, I think he did indirectly through okay. his campaigns, through his conquests, through the spreading uh, of, uh, of French influence throughout Europe. So uh, that, of course, is going to affect uh, the fashion and the way people are wearing things and emulating that of the military fashion. Uh, Napoleon loved the classics. He loved Mm -hmm. ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Uh, And some of the uniforms, I know for a fact, were Mm -hmm. changed by Napoleon, particularly uh, the Carabinier. Uh, The Carabinier were a cavalry regiment, which, uh, prior to that, had a uh, blue uniform with red facings and a tall bearskin, very much like his his, his grenadier affier, his foot grenadiers. But in 1809, they adopted a very classic Roman-looking um, white uniform. Not that the Romans wore white, but they wore a gold breastplate and beautiful gold helmets with red plumage on oh. top. Certainly, very reminiscent of Mm -hmm. the Roman times and uh, Napoleon loved um, uh, the antiquity. In fact, the French Republic is really modeled after the Roman Republic. Uh, Napoleon for a time had um, made a request that all of his marshals should wear these breastplates and even had one made for him, Mm -hmm. but it was thought that they were a bit too um, heavy and cumbersome Mm. for them to wear, so it never really took hold. But some of them certainly uh, remain but um we must never forget the influence of the empress josephine even mm-hmm. before she was the empress mm-hmm. uh the rose of martinique as uh, she was initially known um, and she certainly was a great lover of fashion and certainly affected fashion mm-hmm. because yeah even though she marries napoleon on the 9th of march in 1796 when he's only General Bonaparte. In fact, he was just beginning his first Italian campaign of 1796 and 97, When the victories began to come in, Josephine became known as Our Lady of Victories. Mm -hmm. So while Napoleon is in northern Italy defeating the Austrians and uh, all of his other enemies, uh, she's in Paris and she has to make these public appearances. So here she is, the wife of this famous general, uh, and people want to see what she's wearing. Mm-hmm. And she had great fashion sense. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly she uh, she spent a lot of money, and Napoleon often complained about the bills, but uh, <laughs> it was worth it in the end because she, she did, uh, in many ways, affect fashion of the mm-hmm. time. So whatever Josephine was wearing, I want to wear it too, yes. many of the ladies of the period yeah. would say, uh, or in her style. And then when Napoleon goes to Italy, Italian... Touches are put in when he goes to Egypt, of course, as we talked about, some influence with uh, antiquity and the Egyptians come on. And then as Napoleon moves on with fashion, Josephine is making these public appearances and she is affecting fashion. Do
0: you think they collaborated together on that, about what what she should do to best represent Napoleon and and the interests that they have as, as not only a couple, but as a political couple or do you think he just kind of trusted her to make the best choices uh,
1: you know that's a great question and one that uh i'm not even 100 percent certain on i would think see napoleon uh with the excesses of the french revolution <laughs> and the, the 1790s period uh, many of the women's gowns became almost scandalous yeah uh, almost- but
0: there's they are quite beautiful, <laughs> they're but amazing. see a, a
1: great departure from that <laughs> mm-hmm. gown of the 1770s and 80s. Yeah. those
0: prints are so great too. When it's like the modern ecru and mauves, and then it's like the old, like ancient regime, and they're like, oh, no, exactly.
1: What are you wearing? <laughs> uh, so, so that fashion Napoleon did not like the scandalous mm-hmm. fashions of uh, women exposing too much mm-hmm. flesh. Uh, but yet Josephine was such um, a classic woman and so conscious of fashion that uh, I think she probably found the, uh, the, the range where it worked for uh, the pleasing things. Napoleon, but at the same time changing fashion. Certainly her Excellent. many beautiful shawls that she wore, mm. uh, the different styles uh, that she wore, uh, uh, definitely a, a great influence upon fashion.
0: Fascinating, fascinating. So we kind of touched on this already, but I wanted to give you a chance to address it more directly, especially if it's something that we haven't already kind of touched on through this interview. Um, mostly me listening with my hand, like chin on my hand going, oh wow, oh wow, that's fascinating. Um, there's a lot, because t- like I said, we talked about this, there's a lot of mythology around Napoleon, there's a lot of rumors around Napoleon, there's a lot of jokes about Napoleon, there's a lot of, you know, well, why did he do this? Why did he do that? He he was this or he was that. Is there any sort of mythology around Napoleon about the way he looked or the way he dressed that you would like to address right now to kind of say, no, 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 let's get this out in the clear and let's not continue like, is that even a word continue (laughs) (laughs) i will edit this part out continue the the spreading of the mythology around napoleon because you obviously know just tons about him and the way he thought and the way he operated
1: certainly there there are many myths about napoleon uh there are many uh Not-so-nice things that people have said about Napoleon (laughs) and uh, as we touched upon earlier, of course the height issue Mm -hmm. uh, Of him being terribly short, Mm -hmm. uh, but we've covered that already Uh, Napoleon the monster the ogre uh, Certainly his enemies and anyone who's at war with another nation is not going to be speaking highly of the nation They are at war with so a lot of those names came Mm -hmm. and descriptions of Napoleon uh, came from his enemies now Of course, Napoleon is associated with war. Every military Mm -hmm. academy in the world will study Clausewitz on war, who was a a soldier during the Napoleonic Wars, and writes his book from uh, the perspective of many of Napoleon's battles. So he was a huge influence. In fact, he's considered one of the great generals of history. Mm -hmm. He's in line with Alexander the Great, with Hannibal, with Julius Caesar, with Frederick the Great. So... Uh, You don't get that uh, title or that recognition without being a great soldier, Mm -hmm. certainly was. But what we also must remember is that um, though many wars took place under Napoleon, he also did many great things, Mm -hmm. not only for France, but for Europe and in some ways for the world. Uh, so I think quite often that people are not recognizing those great innovations. All right, he took the ideas of the French Revolution, which are liberty, equality, and fraternity, uh, and he was able to spread them across the borders of Europe, mm-hmm. which was predominantly uh, ruled by monarchies. Mm-hmm. It would bring an end to the age-old feudal system and establish other republics, other mm-hmm. uh, governments which have which have, would have representation of the people, freely elected people. Napoleon was not did not proclaim himself emperor. He was elected emperor by the Senate, which in turn was of course the senators were elected by the people overwhelmingly so what changes did he make well after 10 years of wars which he did not begin in 1792 when he was but a captain he en- started it then? uh the the wars of the french revolution really be- began uh because the french government which uh dissolved the monarchy declared a republic <laughs> and they arrested the king and queen of france and executed them
0: to robespierre
1: uh indirectly i suppose the committees of public safety And so when you execute what is arguably the most powerful king and queen in the world, it makes the other monarchs throughout Europe very Mm -hmm. nervous. So the best uh, course of action for them to take would be to invade France uh, and restore the monarchy. Mm -hmm. So these wars began in 1792, but Napoleon would end them in 1802 with the Treaty of Amiens. Mm Uh, and it was during this time that he did many of his great innovations for France. One was the creation of a, n- a new law code called mm-hmm. the Code Napoleon. And this uh, law code was uh, was much needed because different parts of France would uh, adhere to different laws. In the north you would have more Germanic codes, in the mm-hmm. south you would have the old Roman codes. So you needed a universal law code that could protect all of the citizens of France. Or the satellite nations of France. Napoleon created this. He created the Bank of France. He created the Legion of Honor. Uh, He he opened new schools and universities. Napoleon is uh, noted to have said, the greatest victories in life are not found on the battlefield. They are found with knowledge over ignorance. And that's an incredible statement to make. So Napoleon uh, was a great patron of the arts, music, art all flourished, theater all under Napoleon. So I think when we think of Napoleon we have to think of him uh, as more than just the general, more than just the man who brought war to Europe from 1796 to 1815. We need to think of him um, as a human he didn't do all good, no. and he didn't do all bad. was human. So when you put him on the scales of history, where does he fall? Mm-hmm. I think he left more positive than he did negative. Mm. So with all of these things, there was, a t- one, there was no unemployment in France under Napoleon. He put everybody to work. Wait, really? I did not know people that. People who were... Uh, injured or for what he would always find something for them he built new roads he built new monuments to glory to 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 France new bridges Uh, he uh, more than any one person is responsible for creation of the country of Germany uh, mm. or the German state because he dissolved the age-old Holy Roman Empire that was created by Charlemagne in 800. Mm-hmm. He did this in 1806, which set the um, the scales uh, or, or the train moving for what would be the Germany of today because he established the, the states of mm-hmm. Germany, the Westphalia, the Württemberg, Uh, and things like that and um, so him more than any one person save Bismarck. He also did that for Italy and assisted in the unification uh, of Italy which would eventually come years after him Mm -hmm. but he put uh, things in motion to achieve this. Uh, Spreading the ideals of the French Revolution enabled uh, European citizens uh, to eventually uh, well I would think have a better life and not Mm -hmm. be stuck in the old feudal system. So these are some pretty great that. <laughs> innovations that Napoleon has yeah. left behind.
0: Excellent. Excellent. That was not the answer I was expecting, but I enjoyed it thoroughly. It's yeah. <laughs> like, oh. Um, so, okay. So is there anything else you would like to address before in this interview then? Because I, I think we've covered most of what I wanted to ask, but you're the expert, I'm not. With
1: with Napoleon, uh, there's a never-ending amount of information mm-hmm. out there. Any clothing-related information. some uh, certainly, biographies on <laughs> him that some will focus more on uh, clothing and things of that nature than others. Uh, mm-hmm. There are many, many books on the, the fashions <laughs> of Napoleon's armies and his enemies, mm-hmm. uh, and of Napoleon himself. Some great... Um, uh, memoirs that were written by people close to Napoleon. Uh, his valet uh, wrote a, a piece in which he describes methodically exactly what Napoleon would wear each morning, Whoa. how his uh, he would begin his day uh, and go through his day. Do you
0: reenact Napoleon? Uh, do you try to go through that process?
1: Well, I when I'm portraying Napoleon, I try to do everything the way Napoleon would mm-hmm. have done it. But admittedly, when it's behind the scenes, let's say I'm in a hotel room getting ready to go. You mean
0: you're not gonna take a hot shower?
1: <laughs> I, of <laughs> course, I'm wash. gonna do whatever it takes <laughs> to get myself prepared. But once in front of the public eye, I will mm-hmm. endeavor to do my best to uh, mimic Napoleon as he would have done thing. And we're very fortunate to have this information that assists yeah, us in really. describing it. But uh, I would say for your public out there, uh, that there is a tremendous amount of information mm-hmm. on these subjects uh, that you would uh, be able to get a little bit more in-depth with mm-hmm. in whatever part of uh, the Napoleonic fashion you are interested in. But again, the best book on that is uh, Napoleon and the Empire of Fashion by mm-hmm. Christina Barreto and Martin Lancaster. I,
0: can be- I haven't been too good about reading all of the essays in the book, but that book and how they did such an exquisite job of taking a fashion print from like Costume Frisia at that time. And then they were able to basically find extant pieces. And they look almost identical to the fashion plate, how they dressed their models, um, their mannequins, and styled them. It's, its I just, I can't get over it. Even now I open up the book, and I've had the book since it first came out, and you open it up and you just go, oh my gosh. Like it was actually possible, it's not just, fantasy you can't actually apply these things in in real life so it's awesome so yeah i love the book too (laughs) it it
1: is amazing and uh this september Mm -hmm. uh we will be taking part in the jubilee imperial the imperial Mm -hmm. jubilee which we've done two times prior Mm -hmm. in uh malmaison uh it's a suburb of paris and malmaison of course is the chateau where napoleon and josephine lived Uh, And the city uh, embraces its relationship with Napoleon and Josephine. And so we bring literally hundreds of reenactors, not just military, but the court life of Mm -hmm. Napoleon. Uh, And we bring a Josephine as well, and and with myself as Napoleon, and we recreate a day in the life of what it was like to be uh at melmaison in 1807 this year that's going to be the themed year
0: and that's open to the public that is open to the public or is it free
1: uh i think it's a bit of both okay some are are free to the public (laughs) to view uh, many of the parades that we'll do (laughs) uh other private events uh, i think are are ticketed programs (laughs) but uh, the first year we did it it had a a great um, attendance but uh, the second time we did it in 2014 we had upwards of seventy thousand people come to it, and they're expecting. Are you serious? We're expecting oh more gosh. for the one coming up in September of oh this goodness. year, two thousand. So you'll probably.
0: Do you think you'll continue to do it every every two years then?
1: Uh, God willing, I don't know what's yeah. going to happen tomorrow, let alone yeah. uh, in two years from now. But
0: That's a long time to it's
1: think been about a, that. an honor and a privilege to portray Napoleon That's right amazing. in the heart of Paris yeah. at his home with uh, the Empress <sighs> Josephine.
0: Okay, so will you? Give me the information for that event so that way I can put it on the info and the blog post for this.
1: It would be my pleasure.
0: Excellent. What other events are you will you be portraying Napoleon at this, this year?
1: Uh, well, I, I'll be pretty busy this year as Napoleon. In fact, next week, uh, at the end of April, uh, I will be going to Italy, just outside of Venice, for a 1790s Napa- General Bonaparte uh, event. Uh, then in June... I will be going back to Italy to Florence to Mm. attend a a ball and uh, that'll be very much like the court life of Napoleon again very similar to what we do at Malmaison Uh, then in the summertime in July I will be going to Louisville Kentucky Louisville Forgive me, uh, to (laughs) take part in a Jane Austen Society event where uh, I believe I'm going to encounter Admiral Horatio Nelson. Oh dear! uh, But he won't have the luxury of his ships with him, being Mm -hmm. that we'll be in a landlocked state. (laughs) So I might have have the the upper hand there. There Maybe something
0: will Uh, come through.
1: But in the summertime, I, I may return back to the Czech Republic for their napoleon days in mm. august uh, right around napoleon's birthday of august 15th where they celebrate all things napoleon then of course in september we have the malmaison event for the jubilee imperial uh and then towards the end of the year i will go return to the czech republic and austerlitz and in between there might be some other events that'll pop up
0: it sounds like you're really busy but all right. busy
1: but uh, in a wonderful way because it's uh It's teaching the history of the Napoleonic Wars and of Napoleon himself. And I love the quote by Santiana, those who do not learn from history are condemned to repeat it. So it's an opportunity for uh, the guests out there who will attend these events, maybe to learn something of the past and have a better understanding of Napoleon Uh, and all of his soldiers and his fashion.
0: And his fashion. Thank you so much, Mark. It was wonderful talking to you uh, today about Napoleon and his uniforms and what he wore. And I know that I learned so much and I really hope And I know that our listeners will have also gained a lot from this uh, conversation that we've had today. So thank you so much for joining me. And for my listeners out there, um, if you would like more information about uh, Mark and his Napoleonic adventures, uh, you can check out the information on this podcast and also the blog post that we'll have to share this blogcast. And hopefully Mark will be so kind as to share photos with me of him as Napoleon. Um, And you can check that out at www.blog.com. Dot AmericanDuchess.com. And uh, thank you so much for listening and have a great one. Bye.
1: Thank you, Abby.